loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Nancy Novak. She was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer in 2004 when she thought she had an appendicitis. She was very happily innocent about the cancer world and said two now remarkable things. Thank goodness it is not appendicitis and what is stage five. She created Nancy's List in 2006 as a love letter to the universe for survival and vowed to make a difference for people living with cancer and for those who love and care for them. She serves their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs with the wish that no one will ever go through cancer alone. It's, it, her, her mission is to create space for survivors and healing professionals to share resources that complement cancer treatments, mitigate stress, and deepen the healing process. They include a community of subscribers, practitioners, and healing centers, and a library of information about financial assistance, integrative therapies, stories of hope and gratitude, and a book she co-authored entitled, I Am With You, Love Letters to Cancer Patients. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. I'm so glad to see you. Uh, it's it's wonderful to be with you. We've had we've had a string of uh, you know you got stuck in the Austin um, uh, bitter cold mess and the and your pipes burst and we've just ran and run into every single problem, haven't we? And here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be here with you. Yes, I'm grateful to have you too. And of course. This does fit with the theme of the show, how we handle it, how we handle times of challenge. Um, because of course, this last year has been so, so challenging. But, but your, um, what led to the work you do and what of course for any person is a, is a deep challenge was your diagnosis with, diagnosis with cancer. And I wonder if you could just fill in for the listeners a little bit more uh, about that experience for you. Of course, it's also a unique experience to each person. So can you share a bit about? Well, as you and I have said, the words you've got cancer just like turns everything upside down. And uh, probably one of the bigger traumas that we ever have because of what cancer means. That means life and death. That means uncertainty it means fear it means all kinds of things but it's it's difficult to sort of grasp what that meant and when i was told i was swept away to stanford where i was treated by this man who walks on water in, in my family's life um and as it was you know it's a teaching hospital so they poke and they probe and they poke and they probe and they've got like everybody in the planet pushing on you and asking you questions and you have no idea what's going on except you want to pass out or disappear from the scene and when my doctor walked in who really does look like santa claus i mean there's just <laughs> no other way to an added plus i guess for a lot of people <laughs> And um, the usual MO with stage four ovarian or, or ovarian period is that they do what's called a debulking. 
and they take everything out of you that they can possibly find. Um, and it's like, I call it a hysterectomy times 10. Mm. So there were surgeons waiting around to perform that surgery. And he said, no way, she's way too sick to do the surgery. And that was a little bit off-putting um, because I knew nothing, as you can tell. I knew nothing right. about what I was up for, but I realized that everybody else was taking this quite seriously. And so I paid intense attention to what was going on. Mm. And this, was, this, isn't, this is a remarkable oncologist, but he's a remarkable human being. And he said some significant words to me, like, uh, you have a very bleak prognosis and a very challenging diagnosis. And I just want you to know, I think I can help you and I am with you. And everybody in the room who was sitting there went, oh, and they also were crying because that was all I needed to hear. That was what I needed to hear, not all, but that somebody was with me. Those four words, I mean, just they just resonate in my brain all the time, like my favorite four words in life, you know. Um, but that Nancy also, to me, it's quite remarkable remarkable how very truthful he was which then to my mind sets your relationship up for some success because uh, trust everything. is it was everything i totally fell in love with him not fell in love in the excellence but totally trusted this human being with my life and that's what we do when we get illness you know we're putting our lives in the hands of some stranger right mm, yes but I want to give you the best part. So he got this, that one across. <laughs> Everybody's very emotional about that one um, because he said two things. One, that I was in serious danger and two, that he was with me and will always be with me. And then when he left, he said, when all your family and friends who had gathered around my beautiful room in Stanford go home and you flip out about what happened to you today, I want you to call me and here is my home number. Hmm. Now, I've asked a lot of people if you've ever heard a story like that, and they have. No, that's quite, quite unique and unusual. Yeah. So here was a man who connected with me emotionally. And I'm a psychologist, so you know all I care about are emotions and feelings <laughs> and how people get through their struggles on the emotional level. And I called him at 2.30 in the morning. I can't believe I did this, but uh, it said everything it needed to say to me because he was so gracious and so generous and so comforting. And I think one of the reasons that I can do the work I am doing and feel this comfortable doing it is that I was taught by a master about how to be with somebody, how to really be with somebody in a crisis situation. He was brilliant. And it took me a little while, but not that little, to figure out I was in serious danger here. And um, and I kept asking my cousin, who was with me the whole time, am I dying? Am I going to die? Because I felt wide awake alive. You know, it just, I had a tummy ache. I mean, it wasn't like, didn't seem to be congruent with what they were saying was going on with me at all. Right. Which is so typical of that particular illness, too, right. that you don't know anything's wrong until it's really, really wrong. Uh, right. I know many people have had that experience with ovarian cancer. Well, that's what is, you know, has a bad reputation, um, that it's so silent. You know, you don't feel lumps and bumps. You don't have a lot of the other signals that would tell you get thee to a doctor. 
I had a tummy ache, right? And women my age, I was 60 years old, they have tummy aches. I mean, it's not a... It's, it's right, not, not an unusual occurrence. <laughs> right. So then I had to sit with myself a lot. And blessings, really, that I've had spiritual training and I've had psychological training and I have my doctorate in clinical psychology. So I had to sit with this whole notion that I might be facing my own mortality, although I wasn't the least bit ready for that. I was much more interested in the reality of how was I going to live my life fully at all times. But this was kind of in the way. And um, so I had this bridge between being sick and being well. And I knew it was clear to me what I needed to do. And it was how can I survive this? Have my whole attention is how can I survive this so I can live again and live totally again. And I was raging to live. So um, the interesting part I think about my healing was that I was, I was very much aware that I was, my heart was opening. Like my heart was opening to all these amazing creatures who came into my room in the infusion center and all these amazing nurses who were so generous and kind to me and that my friends were better than they'd ever been. And I had a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just like sort of amazing. Like it just kept going over and, and, and I just was blown out, you know, all this positivity, you know, all this sort of like, I was in a teaching hospital, a fabulous teaching hospital. I was in a, with a wonderful doctor. My friends were stupendous. Uh, my family was. And I just knew I was going to make it. I just always knew that it might be a struggle. It might be really inconvenient, but I was going to live through this thing. That's an I interesting revelation. I know. <laughs> because I can understand that more when you were uninformed about the illness it itself. But over time, you must have learned a lot about it, right? And so to maintain that, that sense of things uh, is, is remarkable, isn't it? To, to well, really it's, it's believe that. Me about myself, you know, I will say my son writes, has written about this in the book that I the co-authored about doing it with grace, you know, falling down and getting up with grace. Mm. And, um, and I think I hit everything in my corner, you know, when I, I work with a lot of people who have cancer as a, as a consultant, as a coach, as a psychologist, you know, and I, it's just like my things just lined up in a beautiful way. Um, I had trust. I had friendships. I had, uh, I had no choice. I was going to go. I was going for life. That was it. I didn't have a choice. So, and sometimes, you know, you know sometimes I felt okay. You know, it's like a three-week cycle with chemo. And sometimes I felt okay. And I thought, okay, I got three good hours. What am I going to do with it? What's my favorite mm -hmm. thing to do? You know, is oh, the beach and take my, you know, whatever it was. It was like. Very distilling for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, anything that was superficial had to go away. The relationships that were super, anything at all that was superficial just didn't have a space in my, in my heart and my healing, you know. And uh, everything heightens meaning. Every relationship was more intense. My sense of time changed. It was like, 
uh, there was no past anymore. There was no sitting there thinking, why did this happen? And what did I do wrong? And who am I to blame? That, that, that really, I had no room for that, you know? Mm, yes. And my future was pretty <laughs> obviously unknown, but I, I had no other than to live fully in the present. And it wasn't always comfortable to live in the present, but it seemed there was no other choice. And I love to laugh. And so I wanted to laugh and I always would call people over and say, can you come over and laugh with me? I really need to laugh. You, know? <laughs> you and you and Norman Cousins, huh? That huh? was his, Norman Cousins uh, believed yeah. that laughter could yeah. cure his cancer, right? <laughs> I think it makes sense to me. It's like, <laughs> it sure can't hurt. <laughs> it feels good. You know, it's this raucous sounding, you know, ridiculous laughter that comes I don't know why and I started doing magic tricks with one of my friends so I could pay for my cancer treatment we thought we'd go on the road and do magic tricks and we were really bad at it so we couldn't do that but we laughed so hard preparing ourselves to be <laughs> bad would probably be better in the laughter department <laughs> but I really wanted to laugh and I really I just insisted that I was going to stay alive that was the deal I made with myself you know um I'm going to figure out how to do this. And, and I did follow the directions, whatever the doctor said, I did it. Um, and anyway, it's, you know, there's so much uncertainty with cancer and there's so much grief and fear and angst and all of that. Um, but I had one goal and I was gonna make it. And then I realized that I had no idea what I was going to do with my life if I made it. <laughs> it was just like <laughs> all the rest of it. I was, I love being a psychologist, but I mean, it's like something took over me, you know, it was just not right to be the same person. And I was no longer there, but I wasn't there yet. And I started creating rituals for myself, of how to move ahead, like how to live alone without all the amazing attention and love and protection I had from so many people and how to be take care of myself, which was a big thing. It's really nice when everybody else is taking care of you, but then you got to take care once of you. Once you surrender to it, which some people are quite bad at, and some people don't have the people, do they? Many people don't have the people. Yeah. That has become increasingly horrible to me that mm, many absolutely. people are going through cancer alone. And that is the mission of my organization is that no one should go through cancer alone. No one. I, Nancy, I, I was thinking of this person reading all the stories because the stories in your book, I feel have in common a basic level of support that people had. And I once met a woman who, who didn't have that. And she actually literally, uh, I was... Uh, with a colleague evaluating her for volunteer services. Mm -hmm. And she literally said, I think I'm going to, to just go ahead and die because I can't get, I can't do all of this without help. And I don't have any. And it was the most bleak yeah. truth. And it was true for her. She didn't have the energy physically to call the million doctors. And so she was just thinking of suspending, not because her cancer couldn't be treated. It was a treatable cancer, but because she couldn't do what it took. Uh, that just breaks my heart. And it's way too prevalent. And we, you know, I, I 
in my organization have tried to create a community that people have. It's not like a support group as such, but it's many layers of way you can feel community and connected. And I think we need to really address that with all illness. You know, cancer's obvious. Absolutely. You know, the breast cancer community has been really strong with this. They've created the support groups. They've created races and bicycle trips and everything else. <laughs> The keepable, but there's so if you want it, you can find at least other people going through what you're going through, right? But Mm -hmm. I don't think it's true for ovarian so much, you know, right? And part of that, my mom died of pancreatic cancer, which also is one of those. uh, I ran in a pancreatic cancer race one year uh, (laughs) while she was ill, and they had survivors come up to the stage. There were thousands of people there, and six people came up. Um, the survivors. Right. So if if people don't generally survive, who who is that community? You know, the, it can be very hard to sustain. Uh, fortunately, this is not your story, but of course, many people don't survive ovarian cancer. And, well, I, um, to, I, I mean, like everybody else, I heard there were survivor groups and I went to my, this was in Marin and I went to my first survivor group and I was so glad to be able to talk to people who knew what I was feeling yes. and I met everybody and they were very nice. And then I went back the second time and I said, where's Susie? Oh, Susie passed away. Mm-hmm. Where's Sally? Sally passed away. Mm-hmm. And I left that time and I thought, this is way too much emotion for me. You know, I can't. You were a little too much in the mix of it <laughs> I can't. at that moment. You needed a general, I, I a general so cancer bad. group where people were generally surviving. <laughs> That's not an uplifting experience for me. You know, and I know that was six, seven, almost 17 years ago. I know that there are more survivors than there were, but it still is not, uh, it's, it's, it's and they've got more treatments and all that kind of stuff but it it still is a rocky one because the survival rate is not nearly what it should be yes you know we're about to go to a break but i just uh i uh, uh, one thing you said kind of resonated this idea of immediately confronting your mortality which not, which doesn't happen for everybody uh, in my experience, immediately thinking, oh, God, I might die. Uh, many people go to, I have to fight this, you know, first. But um, to be willing to confront that does potentially make those groups more more um, useful, in my experience, having run groups. When people explore that together, it can be helpful, even if um, from time to time someone does does die. So it makes a difference what the rules of the group are, you know, just saying so-and-so died and, you know, well, no, nothing about it <laughs> leaves you hanging with it, I would right. say. Right. And I was just too, right. I was too, too, was too fragile. No, yeah. I was processing that that might be my life, you know. Absolutely. So, Let's um, go to the break and then come back and talk about okay. that some more. <laughs> Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Nancy Novak, go to nancyslist.org. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Nancy Novak, who's the founder of Nancy's List and the editor of I Am With You, Love Letters to Cancer Patients. And before the break, Nancy, uh, I felt we were on the tip of a subject, which is about what helps and what doesn't. And of course, that's very unique to a particular individual. Uh, Like some people uh, immediately crave a support group and, you know, can't wait for the week to pass so they can go. Others feel overwhelmed by it, etc. But I wonder if you could talk about, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, what you initially thought to pass on were the things that especially worked for you um, that really helped you through the experience. And I wondered if you could talk about that uh, for a bit. What especially helped you? You've mentioned friends and you've mentioned that doctor, but maybe there's mo- more to say about both of those things. For All right. Well, one thing back to my my amazing doctor. Um, he said so many good things. It was one thing when my sister went to him and said, okay, let's talk about Nancy's diet. She can't have any more ice cream anymore, right? And she can't drink any wine anymore, right? And he said, at this point in her life, I wouldn't deprive her of any pleasure. And I, mean, she, she got <laughs> I love the man. And, and, you know, that's, that's unusual in my case. <laughs> right. Right. They put you on this, you know, whatever. That was one uh, thing that was interesting. But he did say something to me personally that I thought was right. And he said, if you're not on antidepressants, get on them. And if you're on them, double them, because you are going to be on a challenging emotional roller coaster and you're going to need all the support in the world. And find yourself a good psychologist, preferably one who has survived cancer. And I really wish that everyone heard those words from their oncologist, because dealing with the emotional being is a, is a great big part of healing. 
helping persons live with anxiety and depression that come with a cancer diagnosis is a really good path to healing. So uh, this helped for me. This was really, you know, and cancer is a trauma and it has to be treated as a trauma by those who are working with us. And that means- And a loss, yes? Yeah. And a loss, I mean, trauma, so many things are lost. Right, but with trauma, for example, you're, you're flooded with emotions that are out of your control. You're just like over the top and then the next minute you're numb and you can't figure that out. And, you know, with a good therapist, you can really learn about trauma and learning how to balance your emotional well-being so that you don't go through those upheavals. So coming back to my favorite things, um, <laughs> I was so blessed to meet Rachel Riemann who is a MD, she's the author, and I wish I could show you these books in person, but these two books that she wrote, Kitchen Table Wisdom and My Grandfather's Blessings. And these two books were, have always been my constant companions before I met her. But I went to a three-day course to become a better psychologist and get continuing education credits. And I thought that I just should hang out with this elegant, eloquent woman. And during the first five seconds, I realized I was not there to become a better therapist. I was there to understand and define my relationship to my cancer. Mm -hmm. And I knew I'd be living with cancer the rest of my life, but I needed to understand the challenges, the mysteries, the magic, the relationship that I was going to, uh, create and maintain with my disease. And now it's personally, my cancer is more in the background. Professionally, it's way in the forefront, but it was really interesting how we, what we talked about during that workshop. And then she and I became friends and she became my mentor through my disease. And I mean, she, we would talk about the will to live. And I realized that that was an essential force in my healing. I have a son. I wanted to see him grow up. I wanted to see the potential grandchildren. I had a very strong will to live. And I realized in working with so many people that they give up. They don't, they don't have that. And I wanted to know what empowers it. Is it something you're born with? Is how does it play into your role, to the, into your cancer journey? When's it strong? Why is it strong? What happens when it goes away? What is it? How do you build it up again? As a therapist, what do I do to encourage the will to live and to strengthen it and to really understand it more, that, that thing? And Rachel always talked about open, being open to the possibility and I, was, I didn't know what she was talking about at the beginning. <laughs> but it made sense. It was like being open. Maybe this treatment is going to work. Maybe you're going to live a full life. What's, you know, hold the thought. Hold on to the possibility that things are going to work out rather than tank. You know, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, and I would put next to that, um, that doesn't mean being unrealistic. It just means holding the vision that there are many things possible and that some of them are remarkably good. <laughs> you, yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. you know, she, she's so interesting to me, Nancy, because I've had her on the show and knew her work before I had her on the show. And she, of course, 
have, has an illness, still has an illness that was expected to kill her, which it never did. She's older than I am. And oh, I'm yeah. pretty She's old like at this 80. point. And um, that idea, because I, I resonate with so much because having lived with someone who was dying for 10 years, you know, the amount of growth that happens because she then didn't die and we were figuring out how to live, basically. Um, just just uh, quadruple that for, for uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, you mm -hmm. know, what she's learned in her life from knowing she might die the, her whole uh, whole adult life is yeah. remarkable, she isn't it? Teacher, I think when this started with her early in her 20s, maybe. But I mean, the stories that she teaches, she teaches by storytelling, you know, and she um, brings it right home. I mean, open to the possibility is so strong. Because as we know, so many people who are sick give up on that. They just surrender to the to that it's not going to work it's not going to work last time it didn't work it's not going to work this time but she taught me about that she taught me we talked a lot about courage and that my job in my healing was to encourage my courage to own it and to live it and i all think about what's courage and what's resilience and how do i amp it up when i'm feeling blue or whatever mm. um and we, in psychology 101, you learn this sort of technique called act as if. So I, I check myself and I said, okay, what's my level of courage today? And it's three. So what do I have to do to get it to five? Okay. And then- Oh, what you're, you are an optimist. You don't go for four, you go for five. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and what would that feel like if I got it to five? And if that feels good, what about trying what seven would feel like? And I mean, it's just a game you play, but it kind of boosts your motivation, you know? Right. And it can be used on an eight-one thing, but it, it worked for me. Um, and so I really, you know, I was still seeing some clients during some of this, but mostly not. And I was just thinking, like, how do I work differently as a therapist? Like, how do I foster courage? How do I foster will to live? How do I foster living in the moment? You know, these are things that are important. I thought a big part of my healing was this opening to gratitude. I mean, I, <laughs> that was one of the biggest blessings of all. I felt so grateful that so many people were, were hanging in there. Kids from kindergarten were writing me love letters. I mean, it was really kind of amazing and wonderful. Um, so then things started happening and I realized that one of my things was if I made this, there's a reason I'm here. And what's that reason? And what am I supposed to do with the blessings and the, and the goodness that has come my way? And while I had been at Stanford and sitting in the confusion room way too many hours, I started asking people questions because I really wanted to know what was going on in their lives and I can't stop myself. That's what I do. <laughs> it's, so, a, it's an occupational hazard. <laughs> Either people talk to you or you ask them. <laughs> okay, so, so these patients, and, and you need to sense that this is Stanford, okay? It's a well-endowed hospital. And they would tell me how helpless and hopeless and they would really let me into their lives. And it's one of the things that I think does happen between cancer patients. They have an instant immediacy 
intimacy. You know, it's just, it, you just go right, right. into it right. in a way that isn't always true with other people. But more than their fear of dying was their fear of not having enough money. And Oh my gosh, that's so true, Nancy. Right. And the possibility of bankruptcy or they couldn't pay for their medications or they any of their medical expenses, if they had insurance, they knew it wasn't enough. They couldn't pay for their children's futures. I mean, one man told me he was considering suicide because he was a financial burden to his family. They thought if they told their employers, they would get fired. I mean, it was all too much for me. It was way too much for me. They, it just couldn't be happening in this country. And I made a vow that I knew that financial assistance was out somewhere. I just needed to go find it. And I needed to make these resources accessible to these cancer patients and the whole cancer community, the patients who, for themselves and those who love and care for them. And so I created a nonprofit called Nancy's List in 2006. And it was, and I launched my first website and it was just gonna do a research project on finding the money to help these people. Mm. And I hoped that this would relieve some of the stress that I knew was in the way of healing. I just knew that. So I also realized that we can't always rely on institutions but we can rely on our humanity. And I separated, I, it's pretty, pretty, pretty big and comprehensive. I separated into by specific populations. And so it's got African-Americans, Asian-Americans, children, Latinos, I'm talking as fast as I can, LGBT, Native Americans, teens and young adults. Then it's by categories, the camps for kids and teens and young adults, the co-pays, health insurance, other medicals, food, living expenses, legal resources, medication assistance, retreats for adults, transportation, travel expenses, lodging, scholarships, wish fulfillment organizations. And this was overwhelming to me. I think one of the reasons I love this project is I meet the best people. I just meet, <laughs> I meet these I, angels. I know what you're talking about because <laughs> I meet the best people on this show as well. <laughs> Similar. I meet these people and I'm so blown away how, how wonderful they are and i just want to keep going i'm especially excited in that section about the camps for kids and the retreats for adults all of these things are free totally free these people who are work these communities raise money to put to help these kids go to camp mm. it's amazing and nobody knows about it so i was sure i was sure i was totally gonna make everybody know about it um and then I went through postings of all the different types of cancer and what kind of financial aid they could get for any diagnosis. And then I got carried away with uh, financial assistance in the time of COVID and was struck by that I was the only one that I know who made a list of where you could get money in the time, in the time of COVID. And everyone has told me nobody else has this list. So some of them have copied it, but nevertheless. No, it's very... It's very um, hit and miss. For instance, I have a lot of artists in my life. And so just because I have a lot of artists in my life, 
the resources for artists have popped up on my feed, for instance, but that's not exhaustive. I mean, everyone isn't an artist, right? Uh, so there's, there's just, uh, it's, it's very, uh, there's not really a coordination of resources that I, that I've noticed anyway. So right. people must well, find I that very valuable. Art. I have some art foundations that are on here, mostly under living expenses and stuff like that. Right. But under the COVID thing, the problem has been that these places, these foundations have run out of money, you know, but I still encourage everybody to keep looking because they keep getting new funding and then they can help you. But, um, you know, support programs, everything from mortgages and credit cards and student loans and utilities. I mean, the basics that these people need and it's still going on. And, and the emotional support, for instance, uh, the organization I used to teach for for three years, uh, Continuing Education, Women's Cancer Resource Center in the Bay Area, yeah. they don't charge for any services. Oh, it's wonderful. And, and it's, and it's um, obviously for women, um, a little bit of support for families, but mostly women. And it's all on Zoom at the moment, you know, so that is... Um, a reliably free resource, right? And and then of course, if you're in a if you're in a group with people, you learn some stuff just by being in a group with people, and they find different things. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's it's so valuable. It's very way, isn't important it? actually to get this get the money issue dealt with because they call it financial toxicity. I, I give a lot of zooms about the financial problems that cancer people go through. It's huge. And oh, my so little huge. group of, of Stanford uh, kindred spirits were telling me, it just broke my heart. It was like so ridiculous that this is happening and that we're not looking at other things. And these people who don't have insurance get billed full tilt boogie on their, you know, billing. And they're, they think that if they don't pay their bills, they're not going to get they, treated. Right. So, real problem. An example for this is my own my own sweetheart who um, I used to say if she hadn't been lovable she would have been dead because <laughs> um, the the moment that that uh, and not because someone would have killed her 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 illness would have killed her because um, she would have been homeless quickly uh, she couldn't work anymore um, she had a debilitating illness that that attacked her bones. So she was disabled, you know, within a very short period of time, she could not have survived without care. And, um, and then she I, found you. Well, and she had a community, bef you know, along with me. Um, <laughs> she, uh, I don't even think I would have necessarily been enough um, <laughs> because the, the level of need was so high. Um, I'm not downplaying myself. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, she would have, uh, she couldn't work. Um, she actually had a broken back by the time they diagnosed her. It took a year and a half. Um, thank you to racism in medicine. Um, and, uh, you know, so she was already on disability by the time she was diagnosed, you know, just really severe things, but she is not unusual. When I pass obviously sick people on the street i think that could have been her Oof. Oof. so i think that's that's my personal connection to what you're talking about that finances are huge i was interested that the the uh infrastructure bill includes care for 
little people and elders, which is a half a step from what we're talking about, that 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 is part of infrastructure, <laughs> you know, the these kinds of needs that people have because they're dependent in some way. Don't you think? Totally, you know, and, and, and totally in ways that we don't see all the time. I mean, obviously you see it, you've had that experience, but so many of us don't, don't have any reason to know how many people are suffering. I mean, I did a club, it's not on my website right now, for kids. It was called Nancy's Club, because I had two kids come to my therapy sessions who were... Uh, I don't know how I got through those days. In back to back, little girl who had been adopted from Mexico. Her mother had was on her second round of breast cancer. Her father had just died from cancer, and she came to me because she said, "If my mother dies, does that mean I go back to being an orphan in Mexico?" Okay? Oh, that's just like a stab in your heart. Yeah. I, well, my heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and it's the bit one of the big fears I encounter with kids. Um, what will happen to me? Well, of course, so, that's the reality. Kids deal pretty that's well with death, course. actually, but the idea that they won't have anywhere to go is terrifying. <laughs> right. And the little yeah. boy the next day who came, who was about the same age, they were both about 10 or 11, and said to me, my mother has cancer. My dad is drinking like a fish. I need your help to make my dad stop because I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to lose both of them. And I just went, okay, that's, there's a signal, there's a sign. Um, and I started. <laughs> it it took two in instead of three. People often say, you know, three signals, but you only take two. <laughs> ah. Time to do something about that. So I started you... a club and the club was for kids who have cancer. And most of them had brain cancer or leukemia or, and kids who love somebody who was living with cancer. Mm. So we had about 40 to 50 kids every weekend to have an adventure. It was just an adventure club. And it was the same kids all the time, plus more. They'd bring their friends or, you know, and we go sailing most of the time because I was living in Marin and we were right on the bay. So everyone in Mill Valley where I lived seemed to want to give us anything and everything they could. We got our boats. Everything was for free. We had no money. We had tickets to all the sporting events we had and good <laughs> once you're an organization you have a chance right <laughs> to well get i think it was the kind of organization because i mm -hmm. don't think i experienced that with my own organization i experienced with the club because these these kids just really warmed everyone's heart but i mean it's like we had their boats we had our they weren't yachts we were always sailing but we had major boats we had we had all kinds of things gifted to us and these kids did so well. And they created a community amongst themselves. They all went to Camp of Kaizu together in the North Bay. Um, they were each other's support teams. They didn't get on the, they didn't talk about cancer on the boat. But one little boy, one little girl rather, said to her mommy, when I'm on the boat with Nancy and Nancy's club, I forget I even have cancer. So. That's interesting because my kids uh, participated in an in an organization in the Bay Area support for kids, and they they ate pizza and they you know did art and they did all kinds of stuff that didn't necessarily 
relate to, you know, their parent having cancer. And yet it was so normalizing because it was all these kids who had parents with cancer, <laughs> you know, yeah, and kids oh, I'm not that weird. There's other people just like it is when you have cancer to be around other people who also are. Yeah. Are, Oh, they were wonderful to each other. They were just so, it was such a terrific project. I wanted to do it when I got here, but didn't work. And the last project that I think is really, you know, warms my heart a whole lot is that I remembered exactly what I felt like the night I was diagnosed. And I got together with a group of 42 other, mostly cancer survivors, but some of them are caregivers and, and wrote a book for newly diagnosed patients. And it's called, I am with you. Guess what? That's, those are the words from my doctor. I am with you love letters to cancer patients. And we're not going to have time to talk about it, although we've referred to it through the show because we're almost okay. out of time, okay. but we're not. But um, I, I read it in its entirety and there's a, such a, um, a wide range of different experiences, some commonalities, but some different experiences. And I think that would be very, very useful to people who are facing a diagnosis to just see all the different ways that people respond to that moment in their lives and yeah. then go forward from there. So I really want to appreciate the book. Nancy, I also just really want to appreciate you being here today and sending send people to nancyslist.org where they can find out more about all of this. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Next week, I'll have Don Newton, author of the memoir Winded, a memoir in four stages, and the novel The Remnants of Summer. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.